Hey everybody, good afternoon. Welcome back. Thank you for joining in. I put together another great conversation with Courtney. Before I get into that, I want to thank you guys for listening, subscribing. You know, without you, I couldn't keep this this moving forward. So I ask that you continue, you know, your support and your love and your dedication so I can get conversations like what you're about to hear out to the to the public so we can we can grow and educate and, and just become just one union, you know, one one country with with just a, a common understanding. Different goals, but just a common understanding and a common respect for each man, you know. That's that's what I'm trying to accomplish, man, is just get education out. You know, don't, don't hate me, you know, work with me. If I have issues, you know, find find positive ways to express those issues, you know, ways that I, I, I would want to hear and learn. And, and change, you know, and me being big enough to, to accept that I have faults and, and to hear what my brother or my sister is telling me or trying to enlighten me with, you know, to help me be a, be- a better man, a bigger man. And, and, that's, and that's what it's about, you know. We're becoming so sensitive as, as people that we, we don't want to man up. You know, we don't want to be the bigger person. We want everybody else to be the bigger person. And we expect everybody else to be the bigger person. So I don't want to hear that this person hurts my feelings because I don't know how to deal with my feelings. So therefore, I just don't even want you to hurt my feelings. So we're, we're, we're running around trying to create all these laws about what's right, what's wrong, all because we just don't want to deal with our own feelings and figure out why does this bother me? If this random dude on the street calls me a name, why does that bother me? You know? And and instead of dealing with that, we would rather just tackle the man on the street, you know, hollering out the names. And and it's it's becoming dangerous because it's becoming a society to where it's making us feel like we have to watch everything that we say. You know? Is it correct? Is it politically correct? I think that it's a correct. But do you think that is correct? How are you going to take what I'm saying? You know? So therefore now I can't even be myself when I'm expressing what I'm saying. So now I may even say something stupider than what I would have said to begin with. And then when that happens, the whole world's going to come down on me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very nervous about what I'm doing here because I know public scrutiny is very tough and it's, it's quick and it's fast. You know, like a samurai in the night. He just comes and he just slashes you. And that's what public opinion does. Public opinion is very, very dangerous because there's no research behind it. It's emotion. It's a lynch mob. It's everything that defines a lynch mob. It's it's just rage-induced, emotion-filled anger. You know? And, and I don't want that on me. Please. I don't need a hundred people camping in my yard, you know, so I have to be careful. I can't express how I want to because I'm not in a position to do so. Some people are. I'm not. So that worries me greatly and it kind of suppresses me and some of my viewpoints that I do want to share and, and be open to. But this is my point. I'm, 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 I'm unable to do so because of the scrutiny that I know is 
is just lurking and waiting around every corner, you know? It seems that every time I go out in the public now, which is less and less, especially with COVID, but every time I go out, I feel like I'm being judged or looked at or expected to be a certain way, you know? You don't know how many people I take by surprise because I look one way and I speak another. And it just throws people for a loop. Sometimes, if they're slow enough, it takes them about three seconds for it to even register what's going on. And it's it's and I see it and I laugh and I chuckle and, and I don't let that bother me though, you know, because I understand. So uh, some things do bother me. Of course, as I've said before, I'm a very sensitive person and things do bother me. But I have to deal with that myself, you know, and I have to control that initial emotion. And then I have to ask myself, like, why, why did that bother me? Is it true? Okay, well, if it's true, then the man's right. What am I going why, why am I going to be mad at the man if he's right? If it's not true, okay, so he's not even talking to me then. So this is, this is just how, in every, in every interaction that we have, these, these are the thought processes, that, you know, the, the analyzations, if you will, that we have to go through and do. But we don't. Why? Because we're distracted. Where are these distractions coming from? Who's implementing these distractions? And why am I allowing myself to be distracted to the point to where I'm making these egregious mistakes that we talk about, that you'll hear Courtney talk about, you know? What is it going to take to start eliminating some of these distractions and then when we do start eliminating some of these distractions are we going to be smart enough to know the distractions that's being placed upon us through manipulation hence the news media fake news whatever you want to call it things of that sort See, one thing I, I, I pay attention to is, is what's going on around me because at times in my life I've been in, in, in very dangerous environments and if I wasn't paying attention to what was going on around me 24-7, I may not be here to, to share these news with you, right? So I apply that, that same, I mean, that survival to me. So it's, it's applicable out here. So I pay attention to all of my surroundings. And one thing I do notice is most of all media outlets, right, are most democratic views. Now, I, I, I will not discuss politics too much, but just a little about me so my listeners can, can understand some of my viewpoints and my thought processes. Now... First off, I, I, I don't believe in government. I'm not an advocate of government. That's not to say that I'm anti-government, right? I'm not anti-establishment because I understand that these things have to be in place. That is understood, right? Not everybody can be a leader. So if you're not a leader, you're a follower. So we have to have some sort of leadership governance in place. That's just, that's just the way that it is. I understand that. I'm not anti-establishment. I'm not anti-government. 
but what I am is anti-corruption and I know corruption I know how to spot corruption and I know it when I see it and it's very easy to see when you can't figure out what the agenda is <clears throat> when you can when you can look at something and you can't figure out what the agenda is what the, the, the overarching goal of this uh, whatever this movement is then then it, it leaves flags right leaves unanswered questions and the government is very big on not answering questions so that makes me suspicious so that that in itself is is where I see corruption at plus we're starting to uncover the the rampant corruption throughout our whole government process on, on every level in all three phases so it's very hard for me to believe in the government right now and I think I'm not the only one that that believes that way I do want us to get it right but in order for us to really get it right we as the people have to come together and, and, and we have to start agreeing on some common ground we have to start agreeing on some common ground you know, as you heard me describe in, in a previous episode, in order to stop an argument, the first place you have to start is common ground. What do you agree on? So as us as, as a community and as civilians, we have to come together and figure out what we do agree on and what we want our government to be. And we, then we have to instill that idea and create a whole new culture for this country. We can't we cannot just keep thinking that we're going to make amendments and we're going to make new laws to cover up the dirt that's still there, you know. And this is going to take time, you know. We have to remember we're only a speck of time. And we can get caught up in that emotion because we only know from A to B, but, but we don't understand that there's a whole larger scale past that. And we can get caught up in that, again, because of distractions, right we lose focus and 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 we're not setting up for our children our grandchildren and the lineage on down and that's what it's going to take you have to remember it took 400 years to get here right it took 400 years to get here so it's going to take a lot longer than that probably to get us out it just all depends on how fast we come together and how fast we understand what the goal is. The government is in place by us. We put the government in place not to rule over us, right? But to figure out that we, we put the government in place, one, to protect us, of course, to protect us from, from foreign enemies, right but also to keep this engine running in a way that it's it's ran on, on all its cylinders because we understand that everyone isn't going to agree and everybody is going to have a difference of opinion and some are going to see some of that opinion to the right and some are going to see that opinion to the left we understand that and we expect our government to to juggle that and figure it out and implement the policies that need to be put in place for what we speak of. But that doesn't happen, you know? It doesn't happen, and then, of course, you, you have agenda that comes in, and, and then here we are. 
but it's it's classic it's classic diversion you know keep the people divided because the government is is in disarray right now and they don't want the government does not want the people to know in how much disarray that they are in so they have to keep us distracted so we're not focused on what's going on there it's all about distractions so you just have to ask yourself how distracted am i you know going back to the to the media you know to the news article you know you know to the to the the media outlets you know most of them are are left democratic views most of hollywood is democratic is left view so most of the information that we receive from our entertainment from our news is coming from a left democratic view that's the first thing that i know where can i go to get as much of the right republican view that there's is there is some and i'm not saying that there's not but it's not as much as as the left when you have hollywood that's that's majority democratic you know you have most of your news medias especially your main ones which is mostly democratic you know it's very hard to get an unbiased view but yet you don't realize this because you think that you're changing the channel from one news channel to another news channel right and it may not even be the the, the, the same like you may switch from CNN to ABC and now you're getting ABC's viewpoints but yet you're hearing the same story that you just heard on CNN right for the most part it's just the same it's the same propaganda so now in your mind you're thinking like okay i i switched new i mean even i got there's two news articles saying the same thing but it's all it's all within the scope of the pyramid and you're not even realizing that you're going to get the same poison fish from the same poison lake and you just think just because you move to a different section of the the lake you're going to get a clean fish but you don't it's all from the same lake so all i ask my people again is if you're making conscious decisions you know are you really getting unbiased information that you can process in your own opinion or is your opinions being swayed you know so you just have to pay attention to these things it's very important because there's a lot of things going on in the world right now and a lot of these things are always under the veil of night the veil of secrecy it's not in your face and that's what we have to pay attention to man we have to wake up we have to come together as a community you know come together as a community black white why am i not going to like you because the the melatonin of your skin the melatonin of your skin is supposed to tell me that that your your IQ is lower than mine it's it, so, so it just it, things like this doesn't make sense you know and you have to again you have to sit back and you just have to ask yourself like is what i'm really thinking making sense or was this implanted just through my life and i don't even realize it and i'm just acting out what i've always seen around me we have to be conscious of these things because you may be hating your brother over here because of the melatonin of his skin right but this man 
may be the one to save your life. Because your brothers, it's all in the same. You're you're grinding against the same. You 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 have the same. You have the same problems, just different facets of it. Both of you are struggling to pay taxes. Both of you, you know, are, are struggling in your job some kind of way. Or however, but but we're all Americans. We're all civilians. We all have to pay taxes to the same machine, not realizing that machine. Is the one that's making me hate you by telling me that your melatonin is what I'm supposed to be hating. It doesn't make sense, man. It doesn't make sense. So this is what I'm here for, and 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 I know a lot of shit I say probably doesn't make sense either. And and I'm I'm hoping that my my listeners get back to me. No, man, you're wrong. And this is why you're wrong. I love facts. You have to come with facts. You know, and I'll put your message on on the on the show, and we we can we can break it down. You know, I I'll even have you on the show, and we can discuss it. Because I'm here for education as well. You know, to me, this is just a group discussion of what I see that's going on, and I'm bringing facts. I'm bringing testimony. These are real people that are out here living it. I know what you're telling me on the TV, but I see somebody that's over here living it, and this is what I want to bring to my people. So, I, I didn't even mean to make take this much time of your time, you know. So please, um, let's get right into it. Here's Courtney. Okay, here we go. So, yeah, you know. Um, what was we talking about? The stigma. The stigma. So a conversation arose this morning, right? I guess there was a conversation on the latest Joe Rogan. And there was a conversation that rose between him and his guest, which I, I can't remember who it was. But it was about the mispronunciation of silence is violence, I guess, and how it's getting twisted out of view and how the word silence is now being associated with the word violence Mm. right so in the conversation that I was having this morning we were explaining that you know it's a very important conversation because I understand what Rogan and his guests were talking about in the sense that yes silence is not violence by definition Right. right just you being silent is not violent and it is getting to the point of that because there's so much miseducation that goes along with that. So when when people are saying silence is violence, they're not really explaining what that entails. There are several steps in between silence and violence. And I under I think I see what they're saying where you know, we're we're taught in school is silence acquiescence. Is silence consent? If I say, "Hey, you want to go rob a bank or whatever," and you don't say no, is your silence consent? You know, and so, and we go over that in school, and in some cases, yes, in some cases, no, robbing a bank, probably no, but um, there are, I know that by not speaking up, people may think that you consent to things that are going on around you, and that's the issue. Is silence consent? Is silence co-signing on things that you see around you? And, And what it really boils down to is, do you have a duty to not be silent? Do you have a duty to intervene? Do you have a responsibility to speak up and say something? 
previously, I don't think any of us really felt that we had a duty to speak up and say something. Now that our world has changed drastically in you know the past year, five years even, I think it has become more to the surface that if you are silent, you do have a duty to speak up if you disagree because your silence looks like agreement with some really visceral things that are happening. Okay, so let's break that down because to me you have two folds of that because you also have the right to remain silent. That's right. So when when do you have the right to remain silent and when does your silence become consent? So it's a moral and ethical question, you know, because when in some cases it, it just depends on in what context are you asking because you have a, a right to remain silent to avoid self-incrimination, to avoid putting any heat on yourself. Um, but if your neighbor is being harmed, what is your silence protecting? You're not protecting yourself. Whereas if you stand up for somebody or speak up for some kind of injustice that you see happening, um, you're not incriminating yourself. And in fact, you're, you're helping someone else essentially. But in today's polarized world and polarized climate, it can be dangerous to speak up. Say you live in an area where several people disagree with you. And I was just listening to a different podcast this morning, you know, talking about it was political and talking about the villages in Florida, which is a big retirement community. And a lot of them are conservative. And they're asking if you're liberal in this community, are you, do you feel able to voice that? And they all say no. They're, the title of the podcast, I think, was Biden's Silent Voters because they're afraid to speak up just in general, you know, with the polarized climate that we currently have. If, you know, Trump supporters speak up, they're afraid that they're going to be viewed as racist. If Biden supporters speak up, they're afraid that they're going to be looked at as looters and rioters and protesters and anarchists. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a criminal context, if and when you're ever in jeopardy of getting heat put on you or being put, you know, spotlight on you and potentially being under investigation, you definitely want to remain silent. Um, people think that they can outsmart the police and talk their way out of trouble. And I'll tell you, 100 percent of the time that never happens. But uh, 100%. 100% of the time, it never happens. You will not outsmart the police. You will not talk your way out of trouble. Um, But in some cases, silence could be used to protect yourself in a criminal aspect or otherwise in a social aspect. And in some cases, I see that in the face of injustice, where you have a voice that will be heard and you don't use it, that to me is immoral and unethical and lazy. Mm-hmm. And so I believe a duty does arise in certain aspects. But, but, and, and okay, so morally, yes. Okay, so if, if, if you're, if, if I'm in my kitchen and I'm looking out the window and I see the man across the way beating his wife, mm-hmm. I have a moral code to do something about that, mm-hmm. right? Right. But everybody's moral code is, is different based upon their experiences, which is mm-hmm. what I go into on the show, you know. So, but that's not a crime. No. Right? Now, if the man looks, he's beating his wife, bomb, 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 he looks through his window and he sees me looking, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, when he gets done, the man comes over to me and he asks me, hey, can we keep this between you and I? Mm-hmm. And I say, sure, you don't have to worry about me saying anything. Mm-hmm. Now, does my silence become a crime? Yeah. It could. Yeah, you could definitely be an accessory. Because as, as we've spoke before on conspiracy, mm-hmm. it's an agreement between two individuals. To, yeah, to further criminal enterprise. 
Yeah. Right. So so silence is is violence. You know, silence is 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 not so much as violence, but it's conspiratorial. Yeah, and that's what I think. And there are several steps between silence and violence because silence is, by definition, the failure to act. It's it's non-action. How does the court recognize silence? In different contexts, you know, in different. Um, it depends on how it's presented to the court. You know, if it's presented to the court in a way that, you know, I've had it in DUI trials before where the defendant doesn't want to take field sobriety tests, he doesn't want to blow, he doesn't make any statements, he doesn't take the stand at trial, and the state tries to play on that and say, ladies and gentlemen, he could explain to you what happened that night, but he's remaining silent, so you won't have that piece of the story. Hiss, and we get up and say, we all have a Fifth Amendment right. You do, I do, the judge does use that right we have that right for a reason that right cannot be held against him for exercising it it is his constitutional liberty and we all have it so the court is instructed not to hold silence against a defendant because it is a protection it's a constitutional protection that we are all afforded um and you know failure to act cases where there is a duty to act where you have a duty to step in and do something say a, a teacher who witnesses abuse and that teacher is silent and doesn't report it that is criminal that silence is a felony crime a failure to report mm -hmm. so it it comes up in because of ways. a sworn duty because of a duty yeah right. a duty that you agreed to take in accepting that position mm -hmm. and you know different everything that we do in life comes with different duties you know when we have we ha all have a general duty to conduct ourselves as a reasonably prudent person, is what the law says. So we all have to conduct ourselves in a reasonable manner. If you get out on, you know, and drive away from here today and you drive the wrong way down the one-way road, that's negligence. That's a violation of your duty to conduct yourself as a reasonably prudent person, and you can be criminally and civilly liable for that. Um, so we all have that general duty, but there are certain other special duties that arise. I have a duty of loyalty to my clients. I can't forsake a, a previous client on behalf of a current client. Um, we have a duty of confidence as attorneys, you know, where we have to keep things confidential. Law enforcement, firefighters, EMTs, they have a duty to intervene in medical emergencies. So different duties arise in different capacities and they may require you to not be silent in certain instances. Well, I, well I, oh, that's, that's such a good point, you know, and, and a lot of what's going on today in, in so many different aspects, you know, but how do you maintain that duty? You know, it's it's easy to, to sit here and say that a, a cop should be, should have this value and this duty. Now, what's to say that this cop didn't enter into this job with that, that almighty, I'm going to fix everything and I'm going to make everything good and, and, and I'm going to be a good cop. Mm -hmm. And then after 15 years on the force, now he's taking bribes, he's, he's mm -hmm. taking, you know, handouts, things of this nature. Mm -hmm. So, so how do you maintain that duty when you're just in the face of, of such ugliness all the time? How do you not become that ugliness? Well, you assume the risk. You know, you have to kind of be cognizant and aware of what you're signing up for. I know in signing up to be an attorney, it's not going to be all law and order in the courtroom. It's going to be a lot of paper pushing, a lot of counseling, a lot of boring things. But I know that it's going to be long hours away from my family. I knew that when I signed up for this. And although I couldn't reasonably and fully fathom that and understand what it was going to feel like, I did the best that I could to prepare myself for it. And police are required to do the same. You have to really consider what this job is going to require and entail and any, any duty that you assume. What is, you know, 
any any agreement that you make, what is this going to require of me? And you have to really think about any and all aspects of mm. that. Um, and it, it happens often with police where they come in with rose-colored glasses and uh, and judges probably too, and attorneys too, and everybody in the court system and in other jobs too, I'm sure. Uh, and then they get jaded by the day-to-day work. But you have your peers to check you. You check yourself. You have your family. You have rules and guidelines that you have to maintain. You have supervisors that keep an eye on you. And so if and when you stray, there should be checks and balances there. And there are generally, but sometimes not because it's, you know. Well, and that's the thing, I mean, you know, especially with law enforcement is is if it was structured that way, I mean, I think we would have a, a perfect a perfect union, you know, right. but but because of the overwhelmingness of crime, mm-hmm. right, and addiction, that's that's going on in America. It's that the, the law enforcement is just taking in anybody that'll come in, right? You know, so you don't have people that are coming into law enforcement like you say that are understanding that they're getting into a very psychological damaging career and they have to be focused and strong throughout that, right? Right. They're just getting in because I, I my education is is low. This is probably the best job that I'm going to get with all the benefits. Exactly. It's a government job. It's reliable. You know, it's reliable. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about getting laid off and all of these things. And it's a good salary. Right. So you have people coming in with the short-mindedness of mm-hmm. this career, not realizing the impact it's going to have right. on your psyche. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of these people just obviously aren't aren't handling it well. Yeah. The, the police department now, I think, in a lot of areas, a lot of bigger areas especially, they're taking in more quantity over quality and it didn't used to be that way um, but you notice even in, in the detective rank now you know when they rise up above patrol and deputy and officer and they get into the detective units they are not as investigative as they used to be mm. you know officers used to chase down leads and they they really don't by and far anymore if it doesn't fall into their lap it's tough to how does it fall into their lap by somebody calling in and saying, here's all the evidence that I have, you know? So we're getting to a time where detectives are relying more on CIs, snitches, right. somebody else to do their own investigative work, and then right. they just piece it together and hand it over to the prosecutor. Right, right. I don't, we don't see community policing anymore. We don't see officers that are involved enough in their communities to proactively police, I don't believe. I believe the police force has become more reactive and that's unfortunate with all of the officers that they have. You have the resources to community police, to put more officers in neighborhoods, to form relationships, valuable, positive relationships. And, you know, that's where the argument comes in to defund the police. And that headline is so, um, it's improper because it's not, it's not actually defunding the police. We need to reappropriate their funding into different areas. And when people hear defund the police, they think, well, who the hell's going to come when my husband's beating me? You know, right, who's right. going to come when someone breaks in? Right. Who? And are we supposed to do that ourselves? But that's not what it means. The police are there for a very limited purpose to enforce the laws and protect the public. But they need to do so in conjunction with other services, with EMTs. How often do you see police and EMTs coming out together? They used to be hand in hand. Um, you know, sometimes you'll need a fire truck there. You need a psychologist there, a caseworker, a social worker. And... You know, I, ha- I had a trial earlier this week with an officer that got on the stand, and I said, you know, you confronted my, my client who was asleep in his vehicle, um, and rather than calling 911, you went back to your cruiser and took a picture of him. Isn't that right? A picture of him asleep in his vehicle. Mm. And this officer's answer on the stand in front of seven jury members was, 
I am 911. And I said, oh, yeah? <laughs> you are an EMT? You're trained to give medical attention? And he said, well, basic medical attention. I said, right, because there's a difference, right, between law enforcement and EMTs. So you're not, in fact, 911. You're trained to give basic medical attention. And in fact, you didn't even do that in this case, did you? You took a picture. So that mentality of I am 911, I have heard from another officer that they have heard officers say, I am the county. You're not the county. You are deputy so-and-so, you know, and that mentality of we Where is that off. coming from? Where's that mentality? Is it coming from this hero image that we portray but, all well, in marketing and, and, you know, we just, cops are heroes, cops are heroes, cops are heroes. You know, I we, don't think so because I don't think that's the narrative. I don't think the current narrative is that cops are heroes. But it has been. It though. has been. I right. think that the, the, where it has come from is that they are the all problem solvers the all problem solvers. You have the, the gentleman in Philadelphia who was just shot by the police um, as he was allegedly running towards them with a knife. His mother called the police because he was having a psychological break mm. because he suffers from bipolar, he was unmedicated. Mental challenge. And he was having a psychological break and she called the police and they, and he, she called 911 is what I should have said. She called 911. Mm -hmm. She needed mm -hmm. an ambulance. She didn't need you the see, police. But, but no, but that's a perfect but example. But that's exactly how it happens. That is a perfect right? example. You call 911 and you expect to get the police because that's who comes out. That's exactly, that, I mean, that's 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 it. There and was, you said that with without even realizing that you're saying exactly. it. It's, it's almost like when you, when you want a ride share, you say, we'll catch an Uber, even though you may not even... You mean Lyft, taxi, anything. But, yeah. the, but that's... So, I mean... It's like getting a Coke and you could get a spray. You know, you're just getting a soda. Call it's, the police, you automatically think 911. Yep. And and what we think is when we need to call officials, we're calling the police. The police are the officials. When we need someone to intervene authoritatively and officially, we call the police. And it shouldn't be that way. Because what happens is that the police come out to this gentleman who's having a psychotic break. He is psychotic and charging at them aggressively and violently and they do what they are trained to do they disable the threat if a paramedic were to come out and get this guy a paramedic is trained just like an officer really but in takedown and de-escalation and in mental and medical emergencies why not have somebody like that out there instead to de-escalate the situation as a general rule or even a special tactic right. uh, like a tactical squad of yeah. emt just like how the police have a swat the the medical field would also have the same exactly where we're, we're, we're dealing with somebody with some sort of unknown psychosis mm -hmm. right and it's been reported the mother called it in and said that he was having a breakdown right. or whatever so they are properly trained in how to de-escalate in in a, in a in a in that sort of fashion right you know dealing with the mental challenges of this person yeah because we can't hold that person who's having a psychological break to the same standard as you or I when we confront police on the side of the road. We all agree that this gentleman should not have been charging the police in any fashion, especially with a knife in his hand or anything in his hand. But we can't hold him to that standard because he's in psychosis right now. And we have a duty to protect him as a citizen of our country and our state. And, and instead, we held him to the standard of a reasonably prudent person and he was taken down because he should have known better. You can't charge a police officer with a knife. So the, the the camaraderie that you spoke of, I mean, isn't that what unions are supposed to be for, or or even are the unions as divisive as as the units themselves? The the camaraderie is um, it's it's too thick. It's too it, it goes all the way up to the unions. 
But but the camaraderie between like EMT and police. No. So the unions don't. So no. there's nothing that brings all of these. So, and, and uh, for me, the the simple solution to me would be, like neighborhoods need to start putting together nonprofits organizations, right? That hold weekly meetings with all of them, all the leaders from EMT, police, whatever, mm-hmm. right? And and it's just a town hall of okay, our unit needs this, our unit needs this, mm-hmm. and and it and it kind of joins everybody together so they can. To me, that that would make sense. It would, but you'd have to get the participation from everybody. You'd have to get the agreement for the EMTs that we're going to come here on Tuesday night, and the police are going to come here on Tuesday night, and you know the sheriff and the local officers are going to come and everybody agrees to join together repeatedly with the agreement that we're going to do this well that just comes from the captains that it comes from from the higher ups that just say listen you know we we rotate each week you know you 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 town hall meeting you know Mm -hmm. whatever Mm -hmm. that would be ideal but do you think they support this idea well no of course they do not because again we understand we understand what division creates and we understand that division has to be there. That's how the government looks at us. Checks and balances, yeah. Right? It's it's easier to manipulate, it's easier to rule over when everything is divided versus right. one. Right. That's why everything is division. That's why we have all these slashes, Cuban Americans, African Americans. It's all about division mm-hmm. and keeping people separated. Mm-hmm. So but why would you do that in your government scheme again when you're when you're dealing with a community because the community that you're dealing with isn't divided if right. you're in a low income as you call it a, a high crime area mm-hmm. it's not divided it's the whole area is a high crime area right. Right. but you're sending units of division in there oh, to yeah. divide yeah you see mm-hmm. and and we have to get and and I've been saying that and I've been saying that with my group NAFJAR and and you know that we have to get our communities involved in prisons. Mm-hmm. Why are prisons so shut down and secluded? How come our communities that these people are going to be released into are has hundreds of miles away? Hundreds of miles away have no access to it. Just to call and get somebody an R and D is is an all day affair. Mm-hmm. Just to find out if your if your loved one is okay, right? It's an all day affair. Why is that? Our communities should be able to to penetrate these at, at any cost. You know, the leaders, if I'm a leader of a foundation, I got my organization, I'm a leader, I'm, I'm, I'm designated throughout the state or, or through, through the federal system as an appointee of a, of a recognized organization. I should have access to that prison no matter what, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or certain certain parts of the prison, the education right. center to make sure that classification, make sure that books are updated, make sure that you know what I mean, right. Right. versus just being told that they are. Mm-hmm. These these are the systems that we have to get into place, you know. Well, the privatization of prisons is is a big hurdle that you'd have to overcome in that. And they don't want to let that go, of course. Right, right, yeah, because you know if we start penetrating the private prisons. We can start complaining about them. We can start demanding that they be held to a higher standard. Um, they don't have time for that, nor do they have the patience for it, nor do they see the need for it. Because the community throws prisoners away, right? We throw our prisoners away in prison. They come back or they don't. You know, when they come back, that's a new chapter. That's five years from now. Yeah, We're we not... expect them. When they come back, we expect them to be clean Different. as a whistle. Different. Changed. Right. Yeah, better. And, but how? How, how are they supposed to get there? We don't care. Just go to prison and do it and figure it out and come back and let me know. Update. That's right. Yeah. And if and if you didn't do it this time, we're going to send you back twice as long. Right, right. 
And so there's not much, unless you have a community member who has somebody involved in the prison system, there's not a lot of community motivation to help prisoners, to help people re-enter. A lot of the community doesn't see a need for a criminal defense attorney, you know? I mean, what's the point? You get a public defender, you were charged with a crime, you do your time, you go away, that's it. You shouldn't have done it, you know? Uh, you shouldn't have broken the law, is that a lot of how the community looks at it. And so the community is not looking at, let's rehabilitate these members of our community who have been temporarily taken from us and will soon be returned to us. They look at it like, he made that choice, shouldn't have done it, should have known better, take the ride, we'll see you when you're done. So there's no official motivation, I don't believe, from the police department or um, any state agency to help rehabilitate these prisoners in general. I'm sure there are some that feel that way, but the general mood, I don't think, is rehabilitation. The general overarching concern and premise in, pr in prisoning people is retribution. It's punishment. It's penal, yeah. It's deterrent. Well, and, when, and that's what I say. I mean, well, the, whole, the whole system was, was designed that way from the very beginning going back to the to the 13th amendment mm -hmm. you know it was it was prison became an agenda once slavery was ended it became an agenda to still keep the black man right. you know enslaved right. and work for free mm -hmm. so they just turned it into a, a penal system and just started arresting people left and right for whatever right. and sticking them out on the chain gang and, and building railroads mm -hmm. you see and that that mentality has never changed no you know it's always been the core and like i say one one of the philosophies of life that that I'm I'm attributing to is what I learned in case law, you know. When an error is made in the court system, everything that is behind that is an error, even if mm -hmm. the procedure was proper after that. Right. Right. You still have to go back and correct that that original error. Right. Now everything after may may they may write off as just harmless error. Nothing would have changed. There may have been sufficient attenuation between the error. But until you go back and correct that original error, you're continuing an error forever. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And 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 as long as you apply that to your life, right, and and everything that mm -hmm. you do, and you start thinking like, well, wait a minute, where I'm was the snag? I'm still making decisions based upon this original decision I made years ago. So let me go back and correct that. Right. You see? So it, the hypocrisy to me that I see in case law is it has this law, right, concerning error. However, if, if a law has been passed and put in stone and then they find that that law was an error, they don't go back and correct that law. They just amend to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you amend to it, and then you amend to it, and now you have so many loopholes and ambiguity mm -hmm. in case law. So I mean, so I don't fault the police, really. You know, no, I don't either. It, it's it's everybody's so overwhelmed, like you. Mm -hmm. You know, like yeah. you. Oh, yeah. Let's take you for example. How does the lazy detective that is just working off the the minds of snitches and CIs? He don't want to go out and do his own investigative work. How does that impact you on a case? Well, it's difficult because, you know, the state then gets that incomplete file and the state is supposed to, you know, the state has rules, the prosecution, they have rules that they're not supposed to file charges, that they don't believe in good faith, they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt. So the state will file their, their case believing that they can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, but without all of the proof that they'll need to do so. So. I still have to fight that charge knowing that the state does not have the evidence 
I've got two cases pending right now. One of them is a huge grand theft. The other one is an aggravated assault with a knife where I have a, a small fraction of the evidence that the state would actually need to take the case to trial. But what do I do? Do I set the case for trial knowing that I don't have all the evidence that the state's going to need to present it to win a trial and go to trial without that evidence in the hopes that the state doesn't find it and present it last minute at trial because if they do we've got to excuse the jury we've got to have a hearing now on is this a brady violation did you have this discovery before trial did you willfully fail to turn it over to me did it prejudice my case or i don't take the case to trial right and i sit here and i file motions to compel this evidence that i believe that y'all should have that i'm entitled to and I have to set that for a hearing. I've got to write the motion. I've got to set it for a hearing. I've got to go before the judge, lay out all the evidence that I believe the state should have to prove this case. Um, hope that the judge grants that order, which then gives me 30 days for the state to give me that evidence. And then they don't. And then what do I do? I've got to file another motion that says, judge, they didn't answer your order. Please enter an order to show cause to make them explain why they didn't answer to your order to compel this discovery. And then he'll maybe sanction him again and say, okay, well, you've got 10 days this time to get it over to her. And so mm. it's a, I'm at a significant disadvantage by the police's lack of investigation, but not to the extent that I can get my client's cases dismissed, just to the extent that we're kind of held in a purgatory until the state decides what they're going to do with their lack of evidence. So I set these officers for depositions and I say, isn't it true that you should have taken more pictures of the vehicle you should take more pictures of the you know the street signs should have done any kind of investigation did you go talk to the neighbors did you go talk to the store clerk did you get surveillance videos um and they say yes or no and i have to chase that evidence down and if they say no then i get them in trial and i do the same thing that's called negative impeachment did you did you talk to the neighbors did you talk to the clerk no you didn't you didn't get surveillance isn't it true that would have helped your investigation yes but you didn't do that right yes so it, it, you know, they say there are a thousand different ways to skin a cat, and that's part of it. It's, I, you can fight it many different ways, but it's none that I get the incomplete file and I can say, oh, this is getting tossed. You know, I have to hustle and chase that stuff down and do my own investigation as a defense attorney and hire my own private investigators to gather that evidence. What is it, what is it that's like shifting that burden of proof, though, that, that because I'm seeing that, it, for example, okay, so... So when I had my traffic ticket that I told you about over in, in Pinellas County for mm -hmm. the red light, uh, no, when he pulled me over. Remember I told you about the cop that pulled me over? I was coming over the bridge mm -hmm. and it was for not merging over. Right. I but I couldn't get over. I couldn't merge over. And then the dude just jumped on his bike, pulled me over this yeah. and that. So I wanted to fight it. Yeah. So I go and of course it's explained that the officer has the burden of proof. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Okay. So I explain what happened, you know, and I asked the officer if his, if his, uh, his, uh, I can't remember the, the actual details because there was speed. Well, yeah, but there was speed that was involved because he didn't radar me because he was standing on the side of the road, but he made an assessment that I was doing a visual estimation, a visual estimation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm questioning him on that. And, and he has no proof of anything. All he's doing is just saying it. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So afterwards, now I asked the judge, I'm like, well, well, your honor, doesn't he have to provide any evidence whatsoever? That his visual estimations are accurate that his visual estimations are accurate and and his the judge's response was he's an officer of the law his word is evidence 
This is what the judge told me. That's true. The judge is right. My first question is, well, how does he have the burden of proof if all he has to say is... Is he's guilty, is, and that's evidence. Explain this to me. Well, you're, if you were to testify, your word is evidence also. And, and it's supposed to be that your word holds just as much weight as his. So even as an officer of the court, that's totally irrelevant. The fact that he took the stand under oath and gave words to the court, that is evidence. And yours would have been too. Um, so the judge should not have said because he's an officer of the court, his words are evidence because anybody who testifies under oath, your words are evidence. Um, but the fact of the matter is that he comes in in a uniform. He's got training and experience. He's got a force behind him. He went to an academy. You didn't. You're a right. driver with a driver's license. And, and a record. And a record and a traffic citation in front of the judge. So it's innate it's inherent that his word is going to carry more weight than yours and so as attorneys when we're picking a jury for a case we have to really vet that out and say do you believe an officer over my client who's sitting here with me if he tells you it's raining outside and the cop says it's sunny who are you going to believe and why mm. and there's no answer to that right because they're they should both hold the same weight so where is this burden of proof shifting from how how is it becoming that that the defendant is is just so overwhelmed and so hard to just to plead his case and and that's i mean that's a big thing going on now is 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 we're 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 guilty until proven innocent right when did that change oh or has it ever been innocent until proven guilty i don't know that it has ever been innocent until proven guilty because I don't I think it would be difficult to find someone to admit to this but the way that I see it is that the public believes if you have been arrested for a crime you did something something maybe not the crime that you were arrested for but something so that's where it starts right there if you are placed in the court system there's a reason for it either wrong place wrong time or you committed the crime either way we're gonna hold you accountable so when we get in there to present a defense even though we don't have a burden of proof, we're already at a disadvantage because we are not the authority on this. It's our client's liberty that's at stake. Therefore, our client would say anything to find his freedom, right? So how can you put stock in what they say? What do the officers have to gain by getting this prosecution? Nothing. They're just doing their job, right? That's the way that the public looks at it, that this guy will say anything he can to get out of trouble. Meanwhile, this is just another case number for this officer, when in fact, that's not the case. The defendant is begging and pleading the truth, and the officer is begging and pleading to uphold his credibility, his reputation. So if my defendant really is innocent and the officer really did make a mistake, mistakes happen, we're all human, the officer is not going to say that voluntarily. I'm going to have to you know, pull it out of him like I'm pulling teeth um, because that's his credibility. That's his job. That's his line. Well, that, I mean, this is a, a great segue, I'm, I mean, into what, what I really came down here for today, you know, going into Terry versus Ohio. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's essentially what, what all of this revolves around is, is the fact that, so for my listeners, Terry versus Ohio was 1967, December 12th, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it was two individuals, it was in Cleveland, and I believe maybe downtown Cleveland somewhere. And um, you had two individuals, Terry and I cannot remember the under, and it starts with a C. Chilton. Chilton. Cats. And Cats Three. is the third. So 
you have two individuals that are standing on a corner one, one snowy day and um, they're going back and forth, you know, they're conversing amongst each other. They're going back and forth and they keep looking in, in a store window. And there is a, uh, was he an under, undercover cop or was he plain clothes or was he just a detective? Uh, no, I believe he was in, in uniform. He was a uniform. Yeah. Okay, so you have this uniform officer who's over here watching these individuals go back and forth. And he's noticing, I guess he would say, a pattern. You know, the guy would, uh, Chilton would go and look in the window and he would come back and then the two would converse. And then, and then Katz comes out of uh, somewhere and they have a discussion and Katz leaves. So at this point, this officer feels like this is a holdup. It's, it's a, a casing. A casing. That, that they're, they're casing the place up. So the officer then goes over. What is the officer's name? McFadden. 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 Yeah. McFadden. Our Irish man. So yeah. he goes on over there, right? And and he starts questioning these guys. Now, upon questioning them, one of them, I, I can't remember which one, mumbles something incoherently. Now this now now this is what the detective is saying, right. that, that he mumbled something, the officer. Mm-hmm. So he spun the, the two around, put them up against the wall, and started to pat search. Pat him down. Frisk. Terry first. Upon patting Terry, he found a pistol in his coat and tried to pull it out, and I believe the, coast, the, the, the pistol got caught, which from, from experience before, you know, because of the hammer of the pistol, it was, it was a revolver, I believe, so they had the old hammers that would come out, and it would usually snag on stuff. Mm-hmm. So in that moment, the cop pushed Terry back up against the wall and spun him around, or took his coat off. Mm-hmm. He took his coat off, took the pistol, searched Chitlin. Mm-hmm. Chitlin didn't have anything on him. Searched Katz. Katz had another pistol. Mm-hmm. Terry was sentenced to three years. Terry got three years for possession of concealed firearm. And then what happened? And so his attorney moved to suppress the search, the pat down saying that it was unconstitutional because the Fourth Amendment protects the right of the people to be secured in their persons, papers, and effects. And therefore, because Terry was not secure in his person, just by this officer's mere observation of him looking in this store window and talking to these two other men, um, solely based on that observation, that was not enough to conduct a pat-down and a search and a seizure and seizing him, which is a detention. You know, Terry was not free to go at the time that he was being pat down, so he was seized and he was searched unlawfully. Um, the court initially denied that motion to suppress, and Terry was sentenced. The Supreme Court, right? Well, it went. The, I think the initial appellate court denied it. And then it went to the Supreme well, Court. The Supreme Court, yep. And then they sent it back down. Mm, yeah, uh, the court adjudicated him guilty. Court of Appeals affirmed. The Supreme Court of Ohio dismissed the appeal, finding that there was no substantial constitutional question. And then the Supreme Court affirmed the conviction. Yeah? So, so then it goes back down. They, they, so how does it end up? So it ends up that the Supreme Court says eventually that in order for a pat down, a Terry stop is what it is uh, known by now after this case, 
to be constitutional. An officer must have reasonable, articulable suspicion that a crime has occurred, is occurring, or is about to occur. And that reasonable, articulable suspicion has to be more than what the courts call a mere hunch. So in this case, I believe that Officer McFadden's observations probably arose to the level of a mere hunch. I don't believe that he has reasonable, articulable suspicion that these individuals are going to rob this store or are about to or are casing this store. Um, so essentially, that's what the court has found. You know, there were old stop and frisk laws where you can essentially stop and frisk anybody in a high crime area just to determine if they have weapons or, mm -hmm. or drugs on them, mostly weapons. And Terry kind of confines that a little bit and says it has to be for a reasonable purpose. And the articulable portion of that is very important too because although that's not a word we use in our day-to-day -day language, it just means that you have to be able to articulate in court what your suspicion was. And it has to rise to the level that is reasonable to detain someone. So... Well, okay, so, but... How is it not if the cop is sitting here and he's watching these individuals go back and forth standing on the corner They show no Reason why they're standing on the corner other than the fact that they keep going and looking <clears throat> looking in this store window mm -hmm. right and and conversing and and you could see the other guy coming in and and, and something is said and the other guy runs off somewhere mm -hmm. so How is that not? Well the other side of that coin is how is it? How, how is that necessarily criminal activity? It's not, right? The, I can think of five other scenarios where that's non-criminal activity. This guy's inside trying to buy something and he needs more money. So he comes back out, hey bro, can I get 50 cents from you? I'm short in here. Why is he looking in the window 24 times? Maybe he's looking to see if the girl, the cashier that he likes has come in yet. You mm. know, it, it could be anything. Why is it necessarily criminal? Maybe his brother's working in there and he's waiting for his brother to get off. He's supposed to clock out in five minutes. It's been 15 minutes. Where is this dude? You know, it could be anything. Do you feel that this case had to do a race? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because that is the problem. McFadden, so if you and I were standing on that corner and I was looking in the window 24 times, you think McFadden would have a different view of what we were doing versus the two black gentlemen that were standing on the corner? I think at least McFadden would have let you look in that window another 24 times before he came over to stop us, at the very least. Yeah. If we would have even been stopped. Right. Or commit the crime and get you afterwards. Yeah. Do you think that still goes on today? Oh, that, 100%. That mentality? 100%. And do you see I, that I in court? It. I see it. Yes. I have a case right now where my client black man with dreadlocks, uh, was driving, made an improper left turn. His white, older friend, driving right behind him, following each other, followed him down the same path, the same course of travel, the same illegal left turn. Guess who was stopped? My client, who was in front, not the old white man in back, for the same exact turn. I mean, the, the old white man driving behind my client actually was cut off by the police for this traffic stop so that they could get behind my client because they know him, they've seen him. He's a young black guy with dreadlocks. They believe he's got drugs on him. Mm. It happens all the time. So, putting in, in real world, how does Terry, how does a Terry stop affect us in everyday interactions with police? The Terry stop is the safety valve for the police, I would say. Um, if and when the police conduct an unlawful stop, they're able to say that they had reasonable, articulable suspicion of whatever. You know, they can name anything. Um, and and they conduct the stop, and then I have to file a motion to suppress the stop and say, 
the evidence that you used as your reasonable suspicion is not sufficient to seize my client in violation of the Fourth Amendment. Um, and it's up to the judge to decide. So if a cop ha if a cop pulls me over, right, and, and I haven't been smoking any weed in the car, my, nothing, right? Mm -hmm. I haven't been smoking weed all day. Cop pulls me over and asks um, if I have drugs in the trunk, can he search my car? No. Is he permissible to do that? No. He's not permitted to ask He's able to that. ask you. Yeah, he can ask you, do you have any drugs in the car? He can ask you anything. Did you just commit any murders today? Even on a, even on a, on a speeding traffic stop. Mm -hmm. And you can say, no, sir. And that's where it ends. That's it. What if he asks you why? Or, why? Or, well, okay, so, so you know, you, the, you, you know how the cops are, and they come up to your window, and they're, they're overshadowing you, and they're, you know, they're putting that, 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 presence, yeah. that presence down on you, yeah. you know, and they ask you, you know, do you have drugs in the car? And you say no. And, and I say, say no. May I search your car? No. Yeah. Why not? If, if you don't have drugs in the car, why can't I search your car? The Constitution, officer. The Constitution protects me from unreasonable searches and seizures. And you don't have a reason to search my vehicle. Because if you did, you would get a warrant. Or you would have probable cause to search it by the automobile exception. You'd get a canine out. So that's what I would say. I would tell them under... The Constitution protects me. Fourth under the Fourth Amendment. Amendment. Fourth, Fifth Amendment. Yep. I am protected against unreasonable searches and seizures. No. And under the Fifth Amendment, I have a right to remain silent. What if I asked the cop, would it be antagonizing if I asked the cop what his uh, purpose for wanting to search my car is? No, or... I think I don't think it would be antagonistic, but I think it would be dangerous because he'll find one. He'll, uh -huh. he'll say, I smell weed. And you, they don't have to find any weed, but if they smell weed, who's to say they didn't, you know? Now, the case law has evolved a little bit with the odor of marijuana because that used to be what they say. They can walk up to any car and say, oh, I smell an odor of marijuana, therefore I'm going to search. Guilty of it many times. Probable cause to search, right. Now that's not the case because the odor of marijuana is not necessarily illegal, right? It's not necessarily um, apparent, readily apparent as contraband mm -hmm. because marijuana is legal, medical marijuana is legal, um, hemp is legal, and we know now that hemp has the exact same odor as cannabis, um, and, and there's no qualitative testing to determine the difference between cannabis and hemp. So even if you are not a legal medical marijuana card holder, if you have hemp in your car, it smells the exact same as cannabis. And the law enforcement agencies do not have the appropriate testing equipment to decipher between the two, whether it's cannabis or hemp. So the odor of marijuana now has to be combined with some other evidence of illegality. Um, so what happens if, if I have five pounds of hemp in my trunk? and I get pulled over, and I tell the cop it's hemp. But like you said, there's no differentiator there to determine whether it's, it's cannabis or hemp. Am I still being charged for cannabis and then I have to prove that it was hemp? Well, the textbook answer would be no, because they have no way to determine that it's not hemp. So if you say it's hemp, what can they arrest you for? Somebody's going to jail, I promise but you. The, exactly, but so that's why I say the textbook answer is no. You ride away that day because you have hemp. They have no reason to believe it's not hemp. You said it's hemp. They have no reason to believe you're untrustworthy or you're untruthful. You cooperated. But that's not what's going to happen. They're going to believe that it's a trafficking amount of marijuana and they're going to arrest you. And what do you do? Now you have to prove your innocence. Now the burden has shifted. And who tests that? I mean, there, there really is no testing equipment to determine. I mean, you've got to send it out of state somewhere. And so then... Now you've got to file a motion to be declared indigent to say, I can't afford to pay for this hemp to be tested to confirm that it's cannabis. 
but y'all aren't going to do it because you assume it's cannabis and you're going to present it to a jury and say it's cannabis without any evidence to back that up and the jury's going to believe you. Um, so I need my defense attorney to be able to take this hemp to Washington or wherever they have this machine to have it tested for THC value. And so then the state has to come in and say, here, you're, let me look at your finances. Yes, you're indigent. No, you're not indigent. And then the state would have to pay for that kind of testing to be done. And those are the kind of hoops that we have to jump through to be diligent. And see, we don't know that. I don't know that. Right. So, and they know that I don't know that. Mm -hmm. And they do everything that they can in their power to make sure that I don't know that. Right. So that they can apply the pressure mm -hmm. of arresting me right. that day on the side of the road exactly. for the cannabis. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know that. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You know that hemp is legal because you wouldn't be riding around with five pounds of illegality in your trunk. Exactly. So you, I know that hemp is legal. I know that I have hemp. But when I have this cop on the side of the road telling me I'm not allowed to have this. And because it's, it's cannabis. It's not hemp. Exactly. And now you start thinking, well, shit, whoever I got this hemp from, did they rip me off? Did they give me cannabis? This, I was told that this was cannabis. Or maybe you just didn't, there was a law that you didn't know. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It, so, and that's, and that, that's why it's so important that, especially with the Terry Stop, to know these laws that will affect us every day in those, in those yes. instances. Yes, to know that you have the right to refuse a search. You have the right to refuse to give a statement. Um, you cannot be forced to be a witness against yourself, to give incriminating evidence against yourself. And like I said in a DUI case, it boils down to... And they will try everything that they can to do yes, so. Yes, it boils down to the most simplistic terms as even at a traffic stop. When they say, I smell alcohol, will you do these field tests? Who knows that they have the ability to say no? Only people who have been in my office when I say, you say no next time. You don't say yes. Nobody knows that. But it's your freedom. It's your liberty. Um, and the Constitution protects that. But there's repercussions to saying no also, though. Sure, sure. And the police won't tell you that you can say no. And in fact, they're going to try to talk you into saying yes. And what they say is, well... If you say no to cooperating in my investigation, you're forcing me to base my decision on the observations that I've already made. And I believe that I have already observed you to be impaired. Therefore, I'm going to take you in. It doesn't matter because they don't, then you go to trial and they don't have any evidence against you. They don't have field sobriety. Mm -hmm. They don't have a breath test because you didn't give it to them. So you, you're not going to beat the ride, but you're going to beat the rap. And and so people just have to you're really going to jail that night. Yeah, you're going to jail that night. And for it's eight a small hours. price to pay for the stupidity of driving drunk. Right, right. Unfortunately, or for encountering an officer who believed that he had. So how does that? How does how does Terry apply if I'm if I'm walking? If you know, like in this instance like here, in this, like yeah. you know, if if I'm walking down the corner and a cop just comes up and just asks me, you know, um, anything, you know, do you? Well, that's an important distinction that we need to make. There are three different levels of police encounters. And I know that you've probably read this in case law through Popple. Popple is the case that we cite in this. Um, there's a consensual encounter with the police where an officer walks up to you on the sidewalk and says, hey, what's your name? Where are you going today? That's consensual. You can say, screw you, bud, and walk away. That's the end of it. Because you've got no reason to stop you. You can say anything and walk away. It's consensual. If you don't consent to it, you walk away. It's not consensual. That, so that's the first level. The second level is an investigative stop, and that's a Terry stop. And in order mm -hmm. to conduct a Terry stop, they have to have reasonable, articulable suspicion that a crime has occurred, will occur, or is occurring. Can he question you outside of what he thinks is a crime? Yes, he can question you on anything under the sun as long as you allow it to happen. So if... if, if... 
as long as you allow it to happen. If it's if it's a consensual stop, you don't have to allow that. He can ask you anything under the sun and you can walk away at any time. If it's an investigative stop where he has reasonable, articulable suspicion, you he can ask you any question he wants then. He's doing an investigation. Any question, whether it has to do with what he deems to be the crime or not. Right, yeah. Do you okay. have any marijuana on you? By the way, what size shoe do you wear? Got it. It doesn't matter. And you don't have to answer that. Got it. You don't have to. I mean, nobody can force you to answer these questions. But you are being seized in that moment. You are being detained. So the Constitution protects you from incriminating yourself. You don't have to answer those questions. You know what I mean? If he stops you and says, hey, I have reason to believe that you have a gun on you. Somebody just called and said a guy wearing a blue shirt has a gun in his pocket waving it around. That's reasonable, articulable suspicion. He can ask you, do you have a gun on you? And you can refuse to answer him. And, and what's he going to do? He can't force the words out of your mouth. He's going to pat you down. But he can't force you to speak against yourself. So he can ask you, do you have a gun on you? What's your favorite flavor ice cream? What color pen do you write with? It doesn't matter. You don't have to answer them. He can ask you anything he wants, and you cannot be compelled to give an answer. Well, how can I determine the difference? Because sometimes that, that line is so gray, and the cops, again, they, they, know, they know how to make that line gray. So yeah. how can I determine when I'm in phase one versus phase two? Well, you've, you've heard it, and you've seen it on videos of people encountering the police where they say, am I free to go? Am right. I being detained? Am uh, I being stopped? That's how you differentiate it. Okay. And that's the right question to ask. So again, it's not becoming, and like I say on my show, it's not becoming emotional in that moment. Right. Don't let fear override you or anything. It's maintaining and knowing your rights. Yes, know your rights. You have to remember, and we all need to be aware and, and really understand that the Constitution protects us. It does not protect the police. It protects the people. So know what it says and know how it protects you so that you can use it to protect yourself. It is the best umbrella and protector that we have. And, so, and how many people do you think, how many people do you, that's such a great point, Courtney, how many people do you think have actually read and understand the Constitution? Only people who have ever been in criminal jeopardy and maybe even repeatedly because a lot of people don't see the connection between the Constitution and our everyday life. I mean, you know, people don't see. We have a constitutional right to travel. Like, did y'all know that we have a constitutional right to travel? <laughs> it's it's in there. It's in the Constitution. What um, does that mean? I don't need a passport? No, you can travel anywhere freely within the United States. You cannot leave. If you go to the Florida state line and they say, Shane, you can't leave Florida. Get, that's a, against the Constitution. That's in violation of the Constitution. Uh, you have a constitutional right to travel freely anywhere within the United States. Got it. We just think that that's just normal. Don't, yeah, we don't even right. know that's a constitutional right. Right, right. Any powers that have not been delegated to the police or to the federal authority are reserved for the people. We don't know that. So for, for me, well, my time, like, okay, now I'm interested, and now I want to go read the Constitution. Read the okay. Bill of Rights, at least. It's easy. It's right there. It's right. very easy. So, so the Bill of Rights, if I understand the Bill of Rights, I know that I'm protected nine times out of ten with daily interaction. I know with that police. I can't I can't have any excessive bail put against myself. I can't have any cruel and unusual punishment. I can't be subjected to that. I have a right to be secure from unreasonable searches and seizures to not incriminate myself. I have a right to counsel. I have a right to a trial. Um, all of these rights affect us day to day. You know, the we have a, a basic right to privacy and freedom. And in fact it doesn't actually say freedom anywhere in our constitution but liberty has been construed to mean freedom 
And so all of our rights in our Constitution are to protect our liberty, our freedom, and our privacy. And, and so you have to know how to use those to protect your liberty and your freedom. Otherwise, you're, you're subject to, to their own motives, to their motives, you know, because you just don't know how to protect yourself. Um, so I want people to understand that there is a consensual encounter that the police may, may come up to you and accost you at any time for no reason. You can deny it or allow it. If they have a reason, a reasonable, articulable suspicion that you're involved in a crime, they can stop you and detain you and seize you. And in some cases, search you, do a pat-down. That's pat the down. investigative stop. That's stage. the investigative stop. That's a Terry frisk because of reasonable suspicion. And the third level is probable cause. And in order to make an arrest, an officer has to have probable cause to arrest you. So those are the three levels of encounters. It's consensual, it's reasonable suspicion for an investigative, or it's an arrest based on probable cause. And you need to know when you're in an encounter with an officer where you fall in those in that scope. And, and going into probable cause, because that's vague in itself. Very, very vague, yeah. So, so what, what is probable cause, just the deeper level of it, not I the surface level? No, I can explain what probable cause is. Um, probable cause is a tipping of the scales, is what they call it. So the way that, you know, we're not supposed to qualify it, really, or quantify it, I should say, but the way that I look at it is 49% to 51% that a crime has occurred or is occurring or has not occurred. So the police just, it has to be more probable than not that you have been involved in a crime or whatever fact they're believing by probable cause, which is so drastically different and below proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So in order to make an arrest, an officer has to have probable cause, more probable than not evidence to believe that you are involved in a crime. But in order to get a conviction for that crime, they have to make the jump from probable cause to proof beyond a reasonable doubt, which is 99.9% .9 certainty. So that's such a drastic difference. And that's why when somebody is arrested for a crime, it doesn't mean that the state can prove the crime against them. Now, from the arrest to the official charges by the prosecutor, there's supposed to be that bridge of the gap. And the prosecutor is supposed to see that I can overcome this. And I know before I file these charges that I can prove them beyond a reasonable doubt. But in reality, that's not always what occurs. They get probable cause arrests, and they file on them, and then they investigate and gather their evidence as it's going through the pretrial process. Sometimes, as my clients are sitting in jail waiting without a bond. And, and that's probable cause to get arrested, but what about probable cause to go from, to, to, to go into the investigative stage? Well, and it's the same thing. So reasonable suspicion is, um, I can't really put a number on that. But that is some kind of tangible well, suspicion. Well, this is what, okay, so I'm standing on the, on the corner and I have my hands in my pocket, right? Mm -hmm. Is that probable cause? Can it be probable cause? Well, it would be probable cause to believe that you have something that you're holding in your pocket. That could Depending be on the area that I'm in. If I'm in a high crime area, would that be probable cause? No, no. No, it's reasonable, articulable suspicion. I believe it would be maybe enough to do an investigative stop. Maybe. Just if, standing there with your hands in your pocket, no. If there's five drug dealers that's over on the other corner and all five of those have their hands in their pocket and I'm standing on the other corner, right, and they go over there and my hands are in my pocket, cop bust the five cops over there find drugs on them, mm -hmm. is there probable cause for me to be searched? No. Why? Because you you've had no contact with them. You're just a guy standing there with your hands in your pocket. 
um, there's nothing about that that is inherently illegal. So when the cops are over there patting these guys down, one of them look over me. Hey, you, come here. Come, no. let me let me pat you down. No, sir. And that's under Terry stop. Mm -hmm. No, sir. Yeah, because unless you unless they have seen you conversing with this group and then you have walked away, now you have a connection to them. If they're in apartment C and you're in apartment A and you have had no contact with them and the police have not seen that, they can't stop you and seize you because you're not involved in this. But, now, in, but in the heat of the moment, though, I mean, for you and I to sit here and discuss it in the room is okay. It but seems when so this, easy. Yeah. But when this happens in the in the street, mm -hmm. right? It's not like it's not like we're gonna have a legal discussion out in the middle of the street right. with this cop. Right. Right. You got you got McFadden that's over here, the old Irish cop, and he knew mm -hmm. you, buddy, get over here. Right. And you, you know? say no, and no. he's chasing you. What probable cause do you have? Right. Exactly. You, that's not gonna happen. No, it's not gonna happen. So what do I do? Do I just go through the motions, and I just voice my 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 rights? Essentially, you say, yeah. I mean, because here's the problem: if he says, "Hey, you come over here, let me search you," and you say, "Okay." You consented to you that consent. search. That's a consensual search. But if you say no, you're obstructing justice, which is a misdemeanor. What do I do? Hope for the best. Call me. You're the attorney. What call you, me. I can't call it's, you in that You know, the old, the old attorney answer for everything. When you ask an attorney anything, what time of day is it? The answer is it depends. What time zone are we in? It depends. It always depends. Everything depends because... It depends on the officer, how many officers are there, what kind of area, what's your record, what do you look like, what are you wearing, are you being nervous, which is a, um, an indicator of criminality, you know, furtive movements. Um, so all of those factors go into it to say, all right, let's just say black and white, these guys are being searched, cops says, hey buddy, come over here, and you say no, he's going to come over to you, right, probably. And when he comes over to you, he's going to say, I told you to come over here. I'm going to search you. And you say, officer, why are you searching me? Am I free to go? Am I free to leave? No. So, so that officer says, hey, buddy, you come over here. I'm going to search you. And he won't even say that. He's just going to say, hey, buddy, come over here. And you say, no. He's going to come over to you, more than likely. Um, he's not just going to say, okay. Right. He's going to come over to you. Of course. And so when he comes over to you, he's going to say, I told you to come over to me. What are you doing? I'm going to pat you down. And you're going to say, officer, am I being detained? Why am I being stopped? That's it. That's all you can do. And he's going to say whatever he says. And if you are arrested, then I have to file a motion to suppress your arrest because it was illegal. So it's better for me to take the obstruction than to give consent to the oh, search. Oh, yeah, 100%. Never Unless I don't consent. have anything on me and I know 100%. It doesn't matter. I still, I still tell my clients, I don't care if you just got out of the shower and, and you're, you're giving, in a towel. You're giving those rights up. You're giving up your freedom and it's a slippery slope. If we give up a little bit of freedom, they will take more. That's that's absolutely the truth, boy. Don't I know it? And you you just can't you cannot consent to it. And it's not just on principle for me, but we can't trust them all, right? As much as there are wonderful cops, there are very dangerous cops as well. And so even if you just got out of the shower and you're in a towel and you're 100% positive you've got nothing on you, who's to say they don't smell an odor of alcohol? They don't see bloodshot, watery eyes. Anything, you know? Well, this is... I mean, I was just on a panel not too long ago. It's, it's on Facebook. But, but I was um, invited on a panel with DJ Vodica. DJ Vodica was a California prison guard um, through the 90s. And he was a whistleblower on a group called the Green Wall. Okay. Um, so during that discussion, I mean, what we're talking about right now is, is exactly that the, the point is that, you know... The police departments, prisons, 
the justice system is a breeding ground for psychopathy. Yeah. There's there's just psychopaths everywhere. You know, and and I asked this guy about it because in his book, you know, he details about the warden of this specific prison and and how he designed you know this is how he wanted to control the yard he mm -hmm. wanted to, to to create a goon squad to to run his yard and mm -hmm. take the the power back from the inmates I, i'm assuming show you of know? authority yeah. so that that same mentality is what is applied in our police departments as well like we need to take our quote unquote take our streets back and, right, and, right, and, right. and that applied pressure is put out there yeah so this kid now, you know, you got McFadden coming at him, he runs, you know? Yeah, and you know, it, it's worth noting that we talked about community policing earlier, and this is how far we have come from community policing, because there used to be a time, and, and we can look at it even as recent as, I think it's the city is called Camden, New Jersey, where they took, they disbanded their local police department, and the sheriff came in instead, the sheriff's department, you know, of the county, and they started community policing because they didn't have a local police department. They said, we're the county. We don't know this little city of Camden. We need to go in there and find out what these people are about. And so the there are officers assigned to certain neighborhoods. The officers patrol those neighborhoods. They don't patrol the neighborhoods looking for people who have their hands in their pockets, people who you know, are pacing up and down the sidewalk. They're checking on families. They're they're talking to the kids that are playing soccer in the street. Hey, how's your ball? Is it inflated? How was school today? Did you see Miss So and So? It's it is a community. So the police are no longer members of our community in a lot of cases. They are separate entities from the community in which they police, and that breeds division and that breeds hostility because we don't understand each other. I, as an attorney going into the courthouse all the time, I encounter police more often than I would prefer probably, but I have really wonderful relationships with some of them. And I tear them down in court, but they respect me. Um, why can't it be that way for all of the community? Well, because the community does not have that frequent contact with the police. And when they do, it's not positive contact, it's negative contact because they're under scrutiny. So that's how far we have come to where these officers are saying, we need to take our streets back, rather than how can we help our streets? Well, and, and, and again, I believe a lot of that is, is pressure on the police due to quotas. Fiscal, um, yeah, fiscal responsibilities. So, so again, this is put on them to go out there and be dicks. Mm -hmm. You know, to, to, to go out and write more tickets than necessary that day. You know, and then, so when you, again, and I've seen this with my own eyes, not, not so much in law enforcement, but with case managers or whatnot. You know, case managers, they come in, they have a good job, they got promoted up to case manager, they're all gung-ho about helping and, and changing. Mm -hmm. and, and they just get tarnished because you have people that take advantage of this nice person. Oh, yeah. Get what they can from it. This person gets write-ups you know, or, or discipline from their superiors for allowing a little access to inmates or whatever, mm -hmm. and then they become tarnished. Oh, yeah. You have inmates that tell on them, yeah. you know, so then they become tarnished and they change. And even if you don't consider all the negative interactions that they may have in trying to do good, just think about how hard it is to make substantial broad change as one person, even without all the adversities of being written up and you know being reprimanded by your supervisors if you're doing a stellar job but you are one person trying to change a system you're pushing a brick wall where are you gonna go you have to have we need teams we need people to sh the paradigm just has to shift that's what it is the paradigm has to shift from 
retribution to rehabilitation, that our prisoners are not defined by their criminality, that our, you know, anybody involved, our parents who have had their children taken from them are not defined by that aspect and their involvement in the court, that we are there to see that they are whole people apart right. from that. And well, and but that's what's happened going on is, is government has always instilled discipline, discipline. What they're acting up, more discipline. What they're acting up, more discipline. And they keep applying and applying until we have locked up more people than anybody in human history, mm -hmm. you know. And and not only that, but we're releasing these people back into our own communities. Right. That's what. That is what is so mind-boggling to me. Is you have such a staggering figure as as what recidivism is, mm -hmm. right? And it's not even. It's not. This is not the forefront of the news. Right. You're letting seventy-five percent of people that are coming out are going right back to prison mm -hmm. why are they going back to prison they're committing right. crimes on these communities right so you're telling me if we could knock that recidivism down we could knock down a great amount of crime in our country right how is this not on the forefront right because why it's privatized right it's a system yeah it's money and this is the thing that that i we have to we have to show the people but it all comes down to your decision it all comes down to your decision at the end of the day I put myself in the positions that I did. Right. There's no question. Right. Right. I cannot blame the the grinder for being so sharp and chewing my legs off. Right. I shouldn't have put myself in the grinder. Exactly. Right. You see. Right. And this is this is the point of my podcast. This is the point of discussions. It's just to to teach people just to and to educate yourself because when you're making these decisions, you think you're making the right decision or the best decision in that moment, but you don't know because you don't know what the Constitution says. And you're assuming. Yeah. And you don't know a lot of how the court system works, what your sentencing guidelines may be for this, how your crime may be enhanced. You know, as we talk about the federal system, um, I've had a previous client charged with a drug offense and his guidelines got jacked up because of his prior conduct, his prior record. He didn't know that was gonna happen. People need to educate themselves on how things may affect your life, how these peripheral things that are always moving around us may affect you. And it's, it need not be reactive because when you, you look into these things when they become relevant to you and when it may affect you, it's too late at that point. You need to know what the Constitution says before you encounter a police officer, not after sure, because that's what's going to give you the confidence to stand up to that cop when he's telling you something that's different right. than what, what you're saying. You know, when somebody comes in here and they say, after they've been arrested, well, he didn't even read me Miranda. Yeah, that happens to me all the time. He didn't even read me Miranda. Well, did he ask you any questions? No. Well, then you didn't need Miranda. You, you weren't asked any questions. So, people, What does that mean? Well, Miranda is required when there is a custodial interrogation. And now our listeners can't see this, but I'm holding up two fingers. There is custody and questioning. That's how it, it has to happen with both. You cannot just be questioned out of custody. Miranda's not required. You cannot just be in custody and not questioned. Miranda's not required. When you are not free to go and you are being asked questions, that is when Miranda's required. And nobody knows that. So how do you know when you're, when you're in the scope of Miranda? Am I free to go? That, with that contained? simple Am question, and he has to answer you. Yeah. Well, yeah, because if he says no, you're not going to go. And if he says yes, see ya, you go. So as soon as he says no, you're not free to go. You are being seized for the purposes of Miranda and for the purpose of the Fourth Amendment. Now, do I ask the cop to read my Miranda or I just don't say anything? No, no, you just don't say anything because 
even if you are being seized and the cop says, no, you're not free to go, if he doesn't ask you any questions, he doesn't have to give you Miranda. If you're just in the car on the way to the jail, clearly you're not free to go, but he's not asking you anything. But if you're in the back seat of the cruiser going, damn, I really fucked up. I knew I shouldn't have talked to Mike about that coke. That's coming in as a statement that you made because you were not interrogated. It was a voluntary statement. It mm. was a spontaneous statement. And so Miranda's not required there. It, I can't get it suppressed. It's coming in. So people don't know that. Well, I said in the back seat that I had too much to drink, but he didn't give me Miranda. So that's getting, that's not going to come in, right? No, because he didn't ask you if you had too much to drink. You just said it. Mm. And it's too late after the fact. What about recordings? What about it? So, I mean, that's such a perfect example because a lot of times they'll put you in the cop car mm -hmm. and then they'll get out of the cop car and go and let you just run off at the mouth. Man, that, that bitch, man, I, she pushed me and I, mm -hmm. I knew I shouldn't have punched her. Yeah, and this stupid ass cop isn't even going to come back and... Mm -hmm. Are those admissible without oh, yeah. Miranda? 100%. 100%. Keep yep. your mouth shut. Just keep it shut. I can't tell you how many times. I've had wonderful videos, and then they put my guy in the back seat, and he just falls apart. Just falls apart. Um, same with jail calls. You're, everybody knows that your jail calls are recorded. I cannot tell you how many cases I've had that I could have proven you innocent, but you get on the jail call, and, and you talk all kinds of nonsense. Well, sure, because you're under emotional stress yeah. and you want to vent and you want somebody to talk to. But, you want support. But how can you? You can't send, you can't send a letter out because that's monitored. You mm -hmm. can't make a phone call because that's monitored. How, mm -hmm. how, how are you supposed to get these emotions out? You rely on your bunkies and you hope your family comes your to see you Your bunkies snitch on you. Yeah. They turn around and roll on you. That's and, true. Yeah, you can't, you can't even trust them. You just hope your family comes to see you face to face. That's all you can do. Just talk to God. Yeah, talk to God. In the shower by yourself. Mm-hmm. Quietly, yeah, and you and you have to hope you have people come face what, to what face. What time's your appointment, Mama? One. Yeah. At one. Mm -hmm. So, how how are you? I'm good. You alright? I'm thriving. thriving. Business is good, huh? Oh yeah. Business is booming. Business is booming. We're How's busy. COVID in the courthouse? Scary. Um, we had we just had our first jury trial last week. I had my first jury trial since COVID last week, and I. You know, generally you get a pool of jury members, you get 50 people in the pool, and you get to whittle them down to six. We had 19 in our whole pool. So if we struck 13 of those, we didn't have a jury. So it was tough. We picked a jury, got them sworn. But um, in Pinellas County, the public defender is saying, based on the spike in COVID, even though we have trials scheduled, we are not conducting trials right now because our clients coming over from the jail have not been COVID tested, and they're going to infect the whole courtroom. So it's very dangerous. It's a balance of people's right to speedy trial and freedom and justice and, and the public health concerns of keeping the community safe. Because there's a lot that the federal government can do just on the basis of health, safety, and welfare of its citizens, and it says so in the Constitution. How is it? Have you been in the jails? How is it in the jails? I have been in the jails, yep. Um, we are encouraged to stay away from the jails. And so the public defenders have a line that they can call right into the jail to talk to their clients. It's not supposed to be monitored, although I don't trust that. But um, it took a lot for us to get our own phone line as the private bar to be able to call into the jail. And we do have that, uh, but we don't have video capability to see our clients. So we, it's still necessary that we have to go out to the jail and see our clients. And um, I was out there a couple weeks ago on a Monday, and on Wednesday I was sick with bronchitis for two weeks. 
Damn it, bro. And I had to call the jail and say, just so you know, I just came to see this inmate, and now I'm sick. Mm. Inmate's got to be quarantined now. Dang it, man. Yeah, it's it's a different world. And he may not, and you may not even contact it from that, but you still right. have to report that. Mm-hmm. And this inmate's gonna be in in quarantine for 14 days, pissed off at his attorney for coming to see him. Yeah. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. It is very, very different. It's scary, but um, how are they maintaining? I mean, I mean, I, I've seen so much bad stuff coming out of these prisons and jails with COVID, and now we got this second wave coming in, as they say. I had a client die in COVID in custody. Oh my goodness, bless his heart, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. How, how did that? I mean, um, he, well, he without was, going into too much detail, of course, but he was in in federal custody, um, contracted COVID finally, you know, got bond, and before he could be bonded out, he was in the hospital on a ventilator, and he passed before he could actually be bonded out. I mean, it's just a damn shame. What kind of charge? Uh, federal conspiracy drugs. Serious charge? Yes, very serious charge, yeah. Not his first. Mm. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Oh, what do we do, man? Everything is changing. Hold on tight and hope for the best and prepare ourselves and educate ourselves. You know, we've got to get ourselves in the best positions possible to make change and to further the momentum when and if normalcy returns, you know. We have to quit making emotional decisions and, and start teaching our children better, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and, and, and not even deal with this, man. And hopefully the whole criminal justice system will collapse. They won't have no business. You know, uh the legalization of marijuana, which is coming on the horizon, that's going to be a huge, huge shift for the criminal justice system. Can you imagine all of the people incarcerated just for marijuana? I, knew once, I once knew a guy that he, he was in there for life. I think he, I think he perished, you know, for, for that very same thing, you know. It's just remarkable. But, I mean, we went through it in prohibition. This is the yeah. thing. We keep doing the same shit over and over right, again. Right, right, yeah. History is bound to repeat itself. I, I don't understand how we're not we're not recognizing that we're not seeing that and, and doing have, something about it. We don't have the right people in power, and we don't have enough of them. It's not that, Courtney. It's distractions, mommy. Yeah, that's the true. government gives us distractions, and and they label it as freedom. Yeah, you know they allow us so much because they understand that that you know we're we're euphoric people. We work off off adrenaline. You know, mm-hmm. we 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 work off excitement. So, yeah. you know. We were watching a we were watching a um a documentary not too long ago, right on the fall of Rome, mm. and it's it's a, it's linear. Everything that was going on in Rome is what's going on here. God. Complete distractions. You had the gla- the gladiator games. You had theater. You had all of these distractions that the government put in place so they could so the Senate could act the way that it wanted to, mm-hmm. which allowed barbarians to move in mm-hmm. to the city and to Rome. And, and just completely take over, you know, and, and before the citizens even realized what was going on, it was too it's late. Too late yeah. The city was already infested with barbarians and, right. and, and law was, was out, the, out the door. So all day, we, we work all day, mm-hmm. right? We're distracted. We're focused on our work. Mm-hmm. We come home. We're focused on our bills. We're focused on the news, what's going on. We're focused okay. on all of these things. Mm-hmm. And then in somewhere in between there, you might pop a beer, play your game, go play your sports, basketball outside. It's just a little bit of leisure time to come back, take a shower, go to sleep, Do start it all over again. And, in, and where in there do you educate yourself? Where in there is self-reflection, mm-hmm. right? 
as to just stop and say, is what's going on, is what I'm seeing really what's going on, right? How am I feeling today? Yeah. How am I feeling today? Mm-hmm. You know? And, 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 and this because this has been going on generational, you have these people that, that are growing up and they, they don't even know how to love themselves. They don't even know who they are. Right. But they're getting married and having children. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And they're telling each other, I love you, but it's, it's, it's just a parrot. It's, it's, it's surface. Well, it's, it's almost like you grow up watching the facts of life. You grow up watching, you know, family matters, family matters and all yeah. of this. And you see your parents and you see these things. And, and these are the, the idolizations of what love is supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. This is what, this, if you love someone, this is how you're <laughs> supposed to act. And this is, so we have that perception and we take that into the world. Mm-hmm. And, and we're trying to replicate that with our spouse because I want my spouse to know that I love her. Right. Right. But I have all, but I don't even love myself. Yeah. You don't even know who you are. I don't, I'm, I'm so depressed with myself. You know, mm-hmm. I don't even love myself. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is that you look to her to say, how much do I love myself and why? What, what do you love about me? That's what I love about myself. And we become defined by our surroundings. And imagine if your surroundings are not real favorable, you are defined by that because you don't know otherwise. And you know, and, and and we're putting this right on our children. Oh yeah. And our children are just sitting there watching. How do you teach your kids how to love themselves and get to know themselves if you've never been taught yourself? So this is this is this is what we have to do. We just have to just listen, man. Just stop moving so fast. Don't bury your head. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. don't stop moving so fast and just slow down. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay not to do something one day and yeah. just sit and read a book. Right. You know, it's okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we, we, we owe ourselves some grace. Well, I don't know what's going to happen with the COVID, man. I don't know what's going to happen with election here in a week. God. I don't know what's going to happen, man. The next time we talk, it's going to be a different world again. All over again. It is. Well, it's been a pleasure, Court. I think this has been very, very informative. I love it. It's, it's been a good one. Until next time. Until next time, my man. Yes, man. Yes. Great conversation. Great conversation. So very informative, I thought. Um, today wasn't my greatest day. I wasn't my sharpest. So I do I do apologize for that. You know, I, I, I um I didn't catch the time in there in the middles if you if you happen to notice. But you didn't miss any information because I did catch it when it ended, but I shouldn't have let it and you know, um, on the platform that I'm on, you 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 can record up to an hour and then it'll stop. So if I'm not cognitive of that and I'm deep in the discussion, um, it will it will cut off on me. And I caught it in time, thank goodness, because I would have really hated to continue on for 15, 20 minutes, not even realizing that that the recording is stopped. <sighs> A lot to unpack. It's a lot to unpack, and it's very important because we we run across these laws every day. You know, we're we're, we're getting killed over these laws without even realizing, without even knowing our, our rights. We're we're losing our, our lives out here. We're, you know, both both physically, mentally. You know, 
so we have to know these laws you can you can research them yourselves all you have to do is look up terry versus ohio it'll come right up in google you can pull up the whole case law read it for yourself you know get active get involved in what's going on stop with the distractions it's okay to to take some leisure time for yourself but not every day all day you know when when you're when your day is already consumed with with other distractions that are a must for for survival you know in the environment that we're in so you already know that half of your day at least is consumed with with survival essentials you know so it, it's it's maintaining the rest of your time for more survival essentials that we're not even cognitive you know cognitive of and and staying focused in that you know play on the weekends but through the week any extra time that you have is is listening to podcasts researching things that you may have heard through the week you know just just different things just stop stop taking what we're hearing in in a, in a microcosm way you know are these these microcosm you know microcosm news i guess you could call them you know these little quick snippets and i'm guilty of that myself so i so again i'm included in this here and i also have to be cognizant of this but but i know that i am you know i'll catch snippets of news here and there and if it registers to me as something that i need to know i'll look up it you know i'll research it at that time you know but i'm not going to go with the snippet that i got and 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 write that as gospel because i know that there's always agenda so i have to protect my brain and my mind from from agenda and and keep my own agenda instilled in that so i took up enough of y'all's time man i really really do appreciate the love um i'm going to keep trying to produce great conversations you know as long as you guys just keep listening keep supporting you can find me on facebook you can visit my site coming home coalition um, i have a merchandise store there's plenty of merchandise for you to go in there and get to to rock your to rock your riot gear you know however you want to express yourself is in there i promise you so until then man y'all stay safe stay smart i love you wear your mask